Theory. Finally, a podcast about the church for the church. Sit back and relax because you're now entering the reformed mental state. Hosted by the Chicano Knox. Coming from that gangster gospel perspective. Coming straight out of Geneva. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the Bible Theory with your host, the Chicano Knox. You know what to do. If you're out there, just go ahead and hit subscribe. Follow me on Twitter at the Chicano Knox, as well as Patreon. You can support me on there. And uh, real quick, you know, I want to go ahead and give a shout out to everybody listening to me in Singapore. I just found out that I got a bunch of listeners and subscribers. So shouts out to all the Bible theories out there in Singapore. So I see you and I appreciate you from way over here, from Middle Earth in the Rocky Mountains. And I want to give a shout out to all the church, all the elect, all the called out ones out there in Singapore. So you got my support. Go ahead and follow me. Hit me up on Twitter as well. So with this episode, you know, we're going to take it a little bit closer to home. We're going to be doing a review or an update of what's going on with the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America. And don't get it twisted. It's not the PCUSA. All right. So forget what you heard. It's the PCA. And this is the church that I'm currently going to right now. I'm actually visiting a local PCA. Uh, this is a second go around for me personally. And I, I actually found one that's actually holding up ground, standing ground, standing firm, standing strong, doing great exploits like the book of Daniel talks about for God. And this is a good local church. They're holding up the truth. They're not falling to the wayside. They're actually fighting. You listener might be actually thinking of saying, what are they fighting for? Why are they strong? What's going on? Good question. Good question. Because that's what we're going to be talking about today about what's going on in the PCA, because this show is about ecclesiology. It's about the doctrine of the church. Today, we're going to get in it. Pastor Scott, thank you so much for joining us today on Bible Theory. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself real quick to those who don't know you, and uh, let us know what you do and who you are. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. Um, I pastor uh, in northern Alabama. I've been in the PCA for about eight years. I was actually reared in a Catholic setting, and uh, I had no upbringing in the Reformed faith at all. I actually came to faith uh, in a Dutch Reformed mainline church uh, back in 2007, 2008, and that church actually transitioned to the PCA uh, in the mid-2010 era, reared in Chicago, Illinois, and the surrounding suburbs and uh, attended school at Moody Bible Institute for my undergrad, and then Reformed Seminary in Jackson for my graduate work. So I transplanted uh, to the South. Uh, Currently, my ministry is at First Press Tuscumbia, Alabama, uh, in the PCA. I serve as an assistant pastor here um, under a man named Randy Thompson, who is nearing his uh, final years of ministry. I believe he'll be retiring here uh, within a couple of years, and then I'll uh, probably move on to another church. But I've been serving the PCA uh, as a pastor for the past couple of years, Um, just recently ordained uh, in 2020, 
Um, but I've been uh, working with some of the stuff regarding sexuality, um, both uh, with amendments to our constitution, um, but also writing uh, in regards to trying to mend tribulations that we've been experiencing um, since around 2018, at least. Oh, wow. So this has been going on for a little bit and um, Alabama, huh? So are you on the yeah. Auburn side or are you still with Northwestern side or which side are you on so far? Uh, I, I tend to go for Alabama, okay. uh, which might not be too controversial, but, yeah. uh, at least where I'm at. <laughs> Hashtag road tide. I'm sorry about that. Exactly. I'm sorry about that. It's the year of the dog. Uh, that's what I've been told. That's what I've been told. I don't know. You know, Matthew Stafford, Year of the Dog. I'm not, I don't know. Real quick, the PCA has been dealing with all kinds of stuff. For those who are going to listen to this, which is going to be a bunch of people, I'm going to say a disclosure. This is a family conversation. Okay. This is a, uh, this is for sober minded believers, mature believers. And I would suggest if you have children, and especially if you hate denominations, if you're anti denomination, I would say, you know, it's okay. Just, you know, just skip this episode, come back to it another year. But for those listening who are mature, who are ready, who are strong, who are apologetically sound, Pastor Scott, go ahead and just break it down to us like we're Elmo. Yeah, so maybe a little uh, background information. About every hundred years, there's a major issue uh, that the church has to deal with. Uh, during the 19th century, you have the rise of modernism and the decline of supernaturalism within understanding the Bible. That was one of the great fights uh, that uh, Hodge and others would have to deal with. Uh, you know, Hodge would actually go to Germany to, to uh, sit under uh, Schleiermacher and others, uh, and that would become the fight of that day. In the 20th century, you have the rise of theological liberalism in full swing and the topic of inerrancy becomes the fight of the day. That's what, um, whether you're um, Presbyterian, Baptist, or what have you, you're dealing with the issue of inerrancy during majority of the 20th century. This is when we get the development of the Chicago statement of inerrancy um, and much others. And now we're heading into the 21st century and we have to ask, well, what is the biggest issue for the church in the 21st century? And I would argue that it is sexuality. It rises, obviously, uh, in the 1960s with the sexual revolution and beyond. Uh, but I think what the church will have to argue and work through most stringently is sexuality. How does the church in the 21st century address the cultural issues uh, of sexuality uh, today? And there's obviously a, a wide way and manner by which uh, the church has addressed uh, sexuality. And so dealing with particularly homosexuality, uh, you have a mainline approach. You have a uh, approach that uh, in, in the mainline church that seeks to affirm homosexuality as uh, both normal and um, okay, not only within worshiping within the body, uh, but also within the leadership structure of the church itself. Uh, this has been, then there's new terms for all of this. Uh, this would be labeled as side A, homosexuality. Uh, it basically means that uh, homosexuality is not a sin. When the scripture references homosexuality, those who are side A proponents uh, would argue that the scripture is not dealing with 
homosexuality generally, but rather non-consensual relationships within homosexuality. And so, yes, we don't want um, uh, non-consensual relationships, but inside A, they would argue uh, that it is actually okay uh, to practice within uh, this framework. They would also, uh, even if they decided that the scripture does talk about homosexual negatively, they would just throw out that scripture. And so in the side A camp, uh, the, the camp that we probably most disagree with, uh, it permits uh, practicing homosexuality um, within the church, within its leadership, within its membership, uh, as something that is okay and beneficial for society. Uh, this is when we, we, you uh, saw on my Twitter um, proponents for this would be guys like Brandon Robertson, the PC USA, uh, the United Methodist Church, the Episcopal Church. All those mainline dying denominations uh, tend to side with side A. And we all within the PCA and within you know, the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, for the most part, would all agree that side A is erroneous uh, and is strongly, uh, we would strongly condemn it. Uh, what we have now within the church that we're dealing with, the PCA, within the SBC as well, and other non-noms, the conservative side of evangelicalism is, well, how do we approach homosexuality with the changing culture around us? And this is where we get two different sides. The issue that the PCA is dealing with right now is whether to affirm uh, side B homosexuality. Uh, these are the new terms that we get for them. And side B seeks to be a middle approach. It's a position uh, that has been popularized by uh, a movement called Revoice uh, in Evangelicalism. It's not a monolithic movement, it's probably more of a spectrum, but it affirms the idea that homosexuality is actually a sin they affirm and uphold traditional Christian marriage, but they see some value in regards to how they engage with the LGBT commu uh, community um, by upholding some of those structures within that community. And so out of the Revoice movement and the controversy that the PCA is currently dealing with, it includes ideas of like, is it okay for... Christians to identify as LGBT? Is it okay for Christians to identify within the gay community? Can I be a gay Christian? Uh, other ideas that come out of this movement would be the idea of spiritual friendships, which is, uh, can I be in a celibate partnership with someone of the same sex or queer treasures in heaven? Will there be certain qualities of the gay community found within the new creation? or in the, the real rich word, concupiscence. Uh, it's, a, it's an idea, the simple idea that uh, if I don't act upon my sin, uh, is it sin? Uh, you know, the Roman Catholics uh, would argue that it is not sin if I don't act upon it. All of these ideas are being discussed and debated within side B, uh, homosexuality and affirmed. And so the controversy that arises within the PCA is, is it okay for our ministers, those who preach the word of God regularly, to identify themselves with the gay uh, uh, movement, to, to, to declare, I am a gay Christian, while also um, seeking to be celibate in this life. And so it's a kind of a middling position. And so that's where the controversy arises, because Revoice, uh, the movement that surrounds it, 
uh, actually was hosted first within a PCA church. And so a PCA pastor who is actually, uh, as he would declare himself uh, uh, at the church that hosted it, a celibate gay pastor within uh, the PCA. And so that's the, the, the controversy uh, that has arisen is because of this middling approach. Uh, the last approach, just as we, you know, orient ourselves uh, to it would be like a side X. Uh, that, I don't know if that's the correct term for it. Um, side X would be more traditional. Uh, it would say and argue that uh, we should not identify uh, as or with our sins. Uh, they throw out uh, the idea that in order to reach uh, those within the LGBT community, you have to, you have to yourself be a member of that community. And so this would be a more traditional approach that uh, both same-sex attraction desires are in themselves sinful. This is the approach where you'd see that there's a call to holiness, to remain open to the idea of marriage, whether you struggle with same-sex attraction, homosexually or not, but there's an actual openness uh, to marriage. Uh, but at the very least, it's a commitment to chastity. Uh, these are all biblical terms. You see the side X uh, movement, uh, the traditional movement, couches itself primarily in biblical terms uh, using biblical language, uh, whereas uh, the side B has incorporated even within itself some modern psychology um, within how it defines itself. Uh, but the side X uh, movement, um, the traditional one uh, that we have seen throughout uh, much of uh, church history, uh, chooses to use language uh, that couches itself and how Paul talks about sanctification uh, throughout his epistles. And so the side X movement, uh, those would be uh, men and women like Rosaria Butterfield, Christopher Yuan out of Moody Bible Institute, Beckett Cook, who was converted uh, not too long ago out of California, all folks that have, have at some point or maybe even continue to struggle with uh, desires for the same sex, uh, they would mortify and that idea of pursuing the side B ethic. Though they themselves struggle maybe at times uh, with same sex attraction, uh, they themselves uh, have uh, saw a very deep issue with the side B movement. That's not to say that, uh, you know, Rosaria Butterfield and Yuan and Beckett would have no criticism for how the church has handled this issue. Uh, they have been very critical of uh, conversion therapy issues. Um, they have argued that the issue with all of these movements, uh, conversion therapy, Exodus International is one of those. Uh, the issue is that they are parachurch ministries that didn't seek to enfold people on the inside. And that this is actually the work of the church to deal with all sin, uh, as well as the sin of homosexuality. And so uh, those are the three prongs, uh, side A, open and affirming of homosexuality, both in the laity as well as the leadership. Side B is basically uh, gay Christianity that pursues chastity and upholds uh, biblical sexual ethic, and so they remain celibate. Uh, and side X seeks to throw away the jargon of the side B movement and stick to more of biblical terminology with how it couches the entire argument. Um, and so these are kind of the three prongs of sexuality um, within uh, the church. Uh, and there might be a few others, you know, that might be even more stringent than side X. Uh, but these are the main three 
uh, movements. And the PCA is dealing with right now, uh, is it going to be a side B nomination or is it going to be a side X or is it going to allow for room for both? And right now, I guess there is room for both because of the current situation. Um, but the, the denomination itself, uh, with its pastors and elders, are trying to resolve this through various means. I think I would believe side X. I'm with side X. I think X is really cool because it reminds me of X-Men. So <laughs> I like to think of it like that. I'm with the X-Men. <laughs> is it possible that, you know, people just don't believe the gospel? They just want to just have license and just do whatever they want with the Bible? Like, that's the way I'm looking at it. I'm like, do you just trust the Lord? Do you simply believe the gospel? Like, what gives us the right to, you know, wave around the Bible and just, you know, change it to whatever we want based on the culture? Like, is that, is that, is that one of the causes of this, do you think? Uh, well, the proponents for side B would not argue it. Uh, they're, they're arguing, uh, you know, at least now, you know, the, the side X folks tend to, to invoke the slippery slope. Uh, one of the criticisms that's often lodged against side B is that it always leads to side A. I don't know how much I can qualify that. I don't have any examples of where that happens, but, you know, it, I'm sure it, I, I've seen some tweets, uh, you know, with uh, Christian deconstruction and all that uh, of the faith where that seems to be the case. Uh, but I, they, they want to, in the side B camp, want to reach out to the, the, the gay community uh, in a way that draws them into the church. And the method and manner by which they do that is they are, you know, according to some of their own language, they are, you know, they have to make the, the scriptures contextual. They, they have to work the scriptures in a manner uh, that makes it appealing uh, to this community. They, they would argue, the side B camp would argue that the church has done great harm uh, in its witness to the gay community because of how it has treated the gay community throughout all of history. And so side B wants and desires um, those in the LGBT community to come to Christ, to uphold the traditional, you know, according to their terms, sexual ethic, but uh, to also uh, limit, you know, some of the biblical language in regards to how they self-define. Uh, one of the issues uh, that we're dealing with is, is Christ able and is sanctification, the process of being made holy, is it able to conquer the sin of homosexuality? Uh, many of the critics of the side B movement argue that basically what side B is, uh, what side X argues against side B, uh, is that you're basically putting people that struggle with homosexuality on palliative care. Oh, there's no hope. There's no hope. You're going to struggle with homosexuality for the rest of your life. Uh, and there is no hope for overcoming that sin. Uh, and side X is abhorred by that because that in, in the side X approach would argue uh, that you're not taking seriously the work of Christ in saving and his work in helping you grow in sanctification uh, and growing more like Christ in your life. If there is no ability uh, to overcome homosexuality in this life, then Christ has uh, not done his full work in your life. Uh, and so that's what side X would lodge against uh, side B is that you're not, you're not, the Lord isn't saving people from their sins in some regard because they are still, um, there's no redemption within this life from that sin itself.
And so I, I don't know if I don't know if I would argue that uh, my brothers on the side B camp in the denomination are seeking to jettison the scripture, but I do think in their hopes of contextualizing uh, in their context. Obviously, we will struggle with sin uh, for the rest of our lives, uh, but to say that you will not grow in this regard is, uh, to me, uh, a lack of mature uh, thought. Be as John Owen, the great Puritan. Um, wrote, we have to be prepared to mortify and kill sin regularly on the daily. Uh, and there are sins that are besetting within our lives that rise up. Uh, and whenever they do, we take the acts of repentance to them and we take it quickly and assuredly. Uh, we must keep our acts sharp uh, because sin will grow. Uh, he argues in his book with a great illustration, the seeds of sin remain in your heart. Uh, and as they grow, you have to be watchful to to destroy them. You know, I, I have a, I have saplings that grow up around my house, and I have to regularly watch and cut them down at the root. Uh, well, you know, more saplings will grow up again and again, uh, and I have to be ready. I have to be on guard, and I have to kill the sapling so it doesn't grow into a tree and destroy my foundation. Uh, and the same is true for sin. We have to be watchful of the sin in our lives, and the Lord and his great work in our lives, we see the evidence of that with how we grow more like him in this life. It's a process, and it's a process that will take our entire lives. But to say that, oh, yeah, uh, unqualified, you will struggle with this sin without any growth uh, for, for your life uh, is an overstatement uh, by their group. I, I think we should encourage um, those within the LGBT community to see the true freedom um, of not merely identifying your entire identity with your sexuality, but the true freedom and holiness uh, that can come in the gospel, as well as with biblical chastity and upholding a biblical form of sexuality. Yeah, John Owen, I think, also said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Exactly. And that's what I get, where it's kind of, you know, it seems like what they're trying to say, yes, go ahead and kill sin. But as long as you don't act on certain things, it's not sin. As long as you don't act on it, like it's OK to meditate. I guess I could just take it to a different type of sin. Right. Let's yeah. say uh, bank robbery. Like, OK, there's a lot of money in that bank. I'm meditating on it. I'm entertaining it to a certain way. And it's like, I'm living it in my mind. And therefore, but I'm not acting on it. So therefore, it's not sin. It's not actual sin. It's not physical sin. As long yeah, as it that, never comes out, it's I'm okay. Yeah, and that's that big word, uh, that concupiscence. That's a Roman Catholic teaching. That's what Catholics believe. Uh, they believe if you don't act on that sin, it's not sin. Um, and only actual sins are sins. Well, in the Reformed community and in evangelicalism in general, uh, we've always understood that uh, sinful desires are in themselves sin. You know, I sin against my God in my thoughts. I sin against my God in my words. I sin against my God in my deeds in these three ways, most commonly. Uh, and I must repent of all of them. Um, I must repent of my uh, desires that are abhorrent to God. And I must repent of my actual actions. And, and to be fair, in the side B community, they would argue that the desire itself is sin. Uh, it's just how they handle that desire 
uh, various people within that movement have done so unhelpfully. Uh, and so again, the side B movement is like a spectrum. Uh, you know, the, maybe the guys that are in our denomination are the most conservative on that spectrum. I, I don't know. Uh, but there is a vast spectrum um, within the movement where they don't all agree with one another um, on the, these various issues. And we've seen that in the PCA because of what our own pastors have had to um, submit in writing regards, regarding what they believe. And though they might be a side B advocate, they have had to restrain themselves um, from much of the side B theology that's offered at Revoice. Um, and we've had all sorts of reports coming out of this and uh, investigations and so on and so forth as well. It's almost like people in, this, in the 20th century would just be like, you guys are arguing about that? Like, dude, <laughs> it, it's almost like, yeah, it kind of feels like we're going backwards. You know what I mean? We're not progressing better argument this argument seems to be going backwards it's like backwards in terms of foundation in terms of yeah. solid foundations that are necessary we're agreed <clears throat> i guess largely in, in church history very crazy uh so what what, what do you think is going to happen in terms of just theories any pca conspiracy theories as well for those out there listening what you think is going to happen what's the way forward and what's the possibility yeah, so there are there are three ways. I just wrote an, a short article on this um, for a, a website called Presbyterian Polity. Um, how do we mend this controversy? Uh, our uh, some background. Our our Supreme Court, our Standing Judicial Commission, has ruled one of the pastors uh, that was overseeing this movement or that had hosted this movement. Uh, they have done an invest. They they have received a case on the revoice movement itself. Uh, and they've all made rulings. Uh, some of them, uh, the, the pastor was actually um, not uh, condemned uh, in regards to being removed from office, uh, but that may not even be the work of the SJC. That might be outside of its work. Uh, but what had happened recently is one of their rulings actually cited the Missouri Presbytery where revoice was hosted uh, Presbyteries and the PCA are like regional assemblies. You know, Northern Alabama is Providence Presbytery. That's where I'm a member of. It's a regional group of churches. Uh, the, the, our Supreme Court cited uh, Missouri Presbytery saying they had to do more work in regards to the Revoice movement uh, because the Missouri Presbytery actually found error uh, within the Revoice movement, but it had such a high bar for threshold, it did not. Uh, particularly address the error. And so the SJC uh, has lodged, uh, you know, has given them recommendations back saying, hey, you have these errors in your report. I mean, the report's like 150 pages. It's not something small. You have all these outlined errors with the Revoice movement. For the sake of the peace and purity of the church, you need to address them um, in order to protect the peace and purity of the church. So one way that we can mend our current controversy is to actually follow the Standing Judicial Commission's report um, calling Missouri to actually act. And what I would think of acting is actually making more public statements uh, condemning certain views that are found within that movement itself. So that's one of the arrows uh, that we have in the quiver. And I don't think that's controversial within the PCA. I think uh, Missouri Presbytery and even 
you know, everyone across the spectrum in the PCA probably agrees that yes, Missouri Presbytery do this. It, we probably disagree with what that looks like, <laughs> uh, but everyone agrees that something should be set out of Missouri Presbytery. But one way, one of the arrows in our quiver is to actually condemn some of the um, difficult or bad views coming out of that side B revoice movement. Another way uh, that I've been intimately acclimated with, with is amending our book of church order. Uh, the, the book of church order in Presbyterianism is our constitution. It's part of our constitution. Uh, it is uh, the forms for our church government. And it has uh, chapters in it on how to do judicial cases. It has chapters in it on ordination and the process for ordination. Who's allowed to get ordained? Male only, as PCA is a complementarian denomination, and so on and so forth. So one of the things we can do in order to safeguard and protect the peace and purity of the PCA, in my opinion, uh, is to amend our uh, BCO, our Book of Church Order. Uh, and the chapter that most are seeking to amend is chapter 16, which deals with uh, the Office of Elder and Ordination. And folks want to add uh, most commonly a, a paragraph to that uh, chapter to include the idea of uh, identity and sanctification. And so those who want to amend the Book of Church Order want to do so to clarify. Uh, yes, our, the Westminster Confession of Faith is clear on this. Yes, the Bible is clear on this. Uh, and now we're going to make the Book of Church Order also clear on this. And so the, the wording that might help um, guard our denomination from uh, the threats of uh, waning sexuality is to amend our constitution. And, and how it's going to look is something like those who identify uh, at, with a view of themselves that is contrary to scripture, is not pursuing uh, sanctification, you know, they'll define what that looks like, uh, then they are not actually qualified for ordained office. And you, there, there are many amendments that are being floated that are getting sent up to our National Assembly, the General Assembly, that will be considered this year in June, June 20 to 24, um, to discuss this. Uh, but the difficulty uh, with amending our Book of Church Order is that it takes a simple majority of the General Assembly this year to pass it. Then it must pass two-thirds of our regional presbyteries. And then it must pass also again in the next following General Assembly. And that's why this process, Presbyterians are slow. Uh, that's what you learn in all this. We are never quick to do anything. And it takes two years or the better part of most of one year to get anything done. Uh, and they tried to do this last year. That's what I was following. Uh, we had an amendment that had gone forth. It passed our press, it passed our General Assembly by like 70 to 77% super majority. Uh, but however, it failed the regional presbyteries. It only mustered uh, so far uh, 50 positive of our 88, and it needs to get 59 in order to pass. I, I think it'll probably by summer have 56, uh, but it'll have enough negative votes that actually sank the amendments. And so everybody's back at the drawing board trying to draft something in order to mend this uh, issue. And the last way I think we can do the uh, we can help. Uh, lead the PCA uh, to a better, healthy position is for our pastors and elders to be churchmen. 
uh, we, it is easy, I think, for uh, folks to complain, to sit on the sidelines and not do the work of the church. I hate that the PCA didn't do this or that the PCA did that. And it's like, well, what do you do, Pastor? Uh, what are you involved with within the denomination? Well, I don't do anything. I don't attend Presbytery. I don't attend General Assembly. I'm not on any of the committees and agencies of the church. I, I don't do anything. Well, I think for a better and healthier PCA, uh, we need our pastors and our elders to be committed to the work of the church, to do the work of the church within the courts of the church. And the courts of the church are, you know, the church elders, the church presbyteries, and the general assembly itself. And so if you want to see change within the denomination, you have to work for it. It doesn't just come uh, by an absent-minded, complaining uh, group of uh, folks. You need to be engaged in the work. And you need to be engaged regularly and faithfully. Uh, it's what I would argue is the call of every pastor. Well, their duties are not only to the local church. Their duties are also to the regional church, uh, to uh, the general assembly, the national church, and to the, the church global. And so I have a responsibility as a pastor in northwest Alabama to northern Alabama. I have responsibilities to all of Alabama, and I have responsibilities to all of the churches uh, corporately in the PCA uh, to help lead them um, wherever I can. And so those are the three things I think we could do to help mend the current controversy is provide, is to actually follow the Supreme Court. It is to actually amend our constitution in order to clarify it, in order to calm the worry of those who have concerns with the rise of the Revoice Movement. Um, within the PCA and evangelicalism, uh, and then actually to get to work and actually do the work of the church. Amen. Uh, that's actually what I was thinking. So I think you hit those three right on the head. For those listening and they say, you see, that's why I don't like denominations. You see, this is the reason why, because it's a mess, it's a huge mess. They always fight. And it's like right now, and maybe for many years before, it seems like it's a mess. And you know what? It's been a mess ever since Jesus left. But I think it's, it's a lot worse outside of the PCA for those in non-denominal situations. Um, and I think one of them, and there's many reasons why, but I think one of them is the checks and balances. I don't yep. think non-denominal, uh, you know, pastors that are just like, I'm the main guy here. No one tells me what to do. There's no checks and balances. There's no one outside of this building that has authority over me. You know what I mean? And it's only me and these two other guys, and that's it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> unless it's some, like, outrageous sin, and then, like, the whole church rises up against them, I guess, which has happened. But, like, in that situation, in that context of a pastor saying, hey, it's just me and a couple of guys, and no one else outside of this building has any authority to check me. That's... The, the number one obvious red flag for me where non-denominals are actually in the worst place because this situation, what you just described, is not only happening in the PCA. It's not. It's not only happening in the PCA. You know, you got the Southern Baptists dealing with the CRT stuff, right, and the racism and the sexual scandals, which I just talked to Randy Starkey about uh, last week. So, you know, and this is the sexual stuff that's happening within the PCA. And then you have this kind of stuff happening everywhere among Christendom. 
you have the BLM, yeah. you have the, you have the CRT, you have the sexuality stuff, you have all kinds of different things basically rocking the nation, including the church. And, and it's much, much worse, I think, in the context of a non-denominational because there's no checks and balances. There's no, there's, there's no mechanism to slow things down like the PCA, for example, or should I say like the OPC or Presbyterianism in terms of polity, the setup, the way it's built, right? Um, that makes mm -hmm. it one of the greatest distinctives, I think. Um, which resembles a lot like the U.S. government in a sense, um, the way it, the way that's set up. So what do you have to say to those um, naysayers, those people who are saying, you see, this is the reason why I don't like to join a denomination because <clears throat> it's messy and look what the PCA is dealing with. Yeah, I have a simple answer is that on every level, the church is messy. Um, and the local church, uh, as a pastor for two years, uh, ministry is messy. Uh, there is no kumbaya, uh, you know, in my own congregation. Uh, it's not like there. It is free from controversy. They are different controversies, no, no doubt. Um, but every church uh, within all of Christendom throughout all of time is messy. And so, when you add regional churches, regional bodies, or even national bodies to the mix, well, those messes continue. Uh, we are all sinners. We are all fallen. Uh, you know, the image of God is, uh, John Murray said, is fractured by sin, not destroyed, but fractured. Uh, and we as pastors deal with those problems, both locally, regionally, and uh, nationally. And within the scripture, we see that same problem, those kind of issues rise up again and again. Uh, Acts 15 with the Jerusalem assembly. Uh, as they meet to discuss the issues of the church. They're dealing with Judaizers uh, and problems uh, that have hit the local churches and now become such a problem that they've hit the actual national church as they meet in Jerusalem to try to solve these issues. And so we see throughout all of the New Testament quite clearly uh, there are issues in the church, whether that be local, whether that be regional, whether that be national, uh, there are issues, and it's messy. Uh, it is messy. Uh, look at Paul's epistles um, to the various churches that he's writing to. It is always messy. Uh, the, the sins that you see most often that Paul uh, uh, charges against the folks that he writes to is y'all are slandering each other. Y'all are cutting each other down. Your words are not glorifying the Christ. Uh, those types of sins are mentioned over and over and over again throughout his epistles. He constantly mentions problems the messes of a church and so whether you're you're tethered to a denomination or not practically speaking uh, you still have problems and the problem of being jettisoned out from any corporate denomination uh, is now your problems just change more rapidly right now you have a calvinist pastor well the next guy may not be calvinist he might be uh, an arminian uh, and the next guy might deny the inerrancy of scripture while the current guy it, it, there's all sorts of wide gamuts uh, for error to uphold and to come within the church when there is no checks and balances. And I would argue, as I've already argued with Acts chapter 15, that actually this form of government is biblical. Now, this is the, the government that we see within the early church, in my opinion. Now, that's what we see with Acts, with the Jerusalem Council. It's the church is coming together uh, for a meeting in order to discuss the theology and the work of the church and to resolve the controversies within the church. And 
And when we jettison ourselves away from denominations, uh, we just open ourselves up to more controversy that deteriorates uh, the witness of Christ, in my opinion, uh, to uh, the nations. And so that would be my response is these problems, whether you think the PCA is going down some hard path or not, these are problems that churches are dealing with locally, uh, regionally, and nationally. And as you said, uh, the SBC is dealing with issues of CRT right now, but they're also dealing with this issue as well. They just don't know it uh, because the, the folks that are on the board uh, for the Revoice movement are Southern Baptists. Uh, they're non-denominationals. Uh, they're, they are folks within wider evangelicalism. Uh, they have just uh, been forced by their current hand uh, to deal with a different issue. It's hard to have multiple controversies rising up all at the same time. You can only handle really one at a time. And so I would expect, you know, within the next decade, the the SBC and the PCA might flop. You know, we might solve the sexuality crisis within the denomination. The SBC might solve their critical race issue. And now we're going to swap and they're going to have to deal with the side B homosexuality while we deal with critical race. Um, We can only really have one controversy at a time. That's how uh, you know, churches usually handle things, uh, but the issues are still there across the, all denominations within evangelicalism, and it's just how we deal with them. The, the, the nice thing about the PCA, you know, you, you might want things to be dealt with quickly and timely, uh, but the slow process in the PCA actually benefits itself to more mature thought. Uh, it, it benefits itself and lends itself to actually solving crises, whether we like how they're solved or not, uh, the form of government, you know, we're going to be dealing with the revoice movement probably for another two years here, at least that's like five years uh, over this controversy. Uh, But hopefully at the end of it, we come out a better denomination going through it. Theology is always advanced in the midst of controversy. And so it's my hope and prayer for the PCA that in the midst of this controversy, um, that we can have a refined understanding of these categories of homosexuality uh, and that we can become a stronger denomination mm-hmm. for it. But whether you're regional, whether you're local, your church has controversy. Your church is dealing with issues. Uh, when you jettison yourself from a denomination, you cut yourself off from every lifeline that can help you navigate through those issues. And that, that is the troubling uh, problem that we've seen in evangelicalism over the past six years or so. Uh, All of these issues that are rising up, they have no capacity to think through and critically the ramifications for it. Uh, This is seen even at the Moody Bible Institute, the institute that I I graduated from. Uh, There's been this exact kind of drift um, towards these sorts of issues by not only the administration, um, not only by the president, uh, but also by uh, those who are teaching in the student body themselves. And so, yeah, these issues are dealt with, whether you have a denomination or not. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? It's the modern spirit of the age, I think, right now. Like you said, it's the modern issue. is the big, big thing right now. Uh, you got the current administration politically uh, that are pushing equality. Uh, they're, you know, they're forcing U.S. armed members army services and all kinds of army guys and army girls to like change their pronouns and like they're like indoctrinating them with with uh, all kinds of like 
pride and you know all kinds of stuff so it's not it's not only happening in the church level but it's happening from the biggest platforms you could possibly think of yeah that's usually where all these issues draw like draw up that's where the modern you know what hodge is dealing with in the 19th century is schleiermacher and his cultural revolution in germany um, and his transformation of theology that was just rippling through uh, the german society and so theology and culture uh, how they interplay is the theology and the church usually respond to what's going around in the culture what becomes normal because what comes normal in the culture tends to make its way in some manner within the church and so that's how you have the issue of modernity uh, the problems of modernism within the 19th century the problems of inerrancy within the 20th century and the problems then now with sexuality all come and have rooted problems within the culture and secularism in general these are what what the secularists have pushed and since they have pushed it these are the problems that the church is now having to deal with and some denominations and some ecclesiastical bodies some churches do better than others um, but we all are dealt the same cultural hand and that's why the sbc is dealing with critical race theory and that's why we're dealing with sexuality because these are the cultural uh points by which our entire society is now responding to and so the church itself has to respond and it can respond faithfully and seek to clarify its categories in a way that upholds the truth uh, or it could do what the mainline churches did in the 20th century which is yield all of the truth over in order to remain relevant to the modern era and so that builds off what you're saying you know, there are those people out there that are saying, you know what, enough is enough. Let's jump the ship. It's, uh, you know, it's a losing cause. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like Alabama versus a high school team. There's no point. There's no point. You know what I mean? Um, and many people have already left the PCA. And, you know, let, let, let's say it's a football game, right? Because you said it's uh, five years. Let's just say we finish the first uh, two quarters and it's halftime, right? And it's about to get into third quarter. Well, there's some people in the PCA, pastors, leaders, scholars, people who've been around with the PCA from the very beginning, maybe, you know, and they left in the first quarter, mm -hmm. I think, in the beginning of this issue. And they left and they created their own denominations. You know, uh, some say, you know, Let's just let's let's all leave and create the non-gay PCA. <laughs> so so uh, what what do you say to that to the to the current should I say current exodus of uh, <sighs> of pastors that are just you know people who are who already left from the first and second quarter of this battle? Uh, institutions, their seminaries had succumbed to theological liberalism. Uh, their agencies were taken over by those who actually professed theological liberalism. So they had no power within the court, uh, courts of the church, they had no power in the General Assembly, no power in their presbyteries. Uh, and they were just getting destroyed. Uh, their Book of Church Order and their confession, the Westminster Confession, was so amended that they added chapters and so on and so forth. And so they, they got together and left together. Uh, and so I think those two ideas uh, go hand in hand. It's time to leave a church, one, if they're disciplining orthodoxy, uh, and two, uh, you do it together. You do it together. Uh, you don't do it with a, a small fraction, but 
the OPC and the PCA were, you know, thousands of people, uh, thousands uh, of folks, not, not pastors, I'm not talking, just, just people themselves, uh, leaving the PCUS, the Southern Presbyterian Church, to form the PCA. And so I would not encourage anyone to splinter right now uh, to start their own Vanguard Presbyteries. I, I think we, uh, we continue the good fight. Uh, we continue to try to promote clarity because our courts are not so overrun that there is no uh, hope for biblical fidelity. I don't think that's even the case at all. Uh, we still see great men on every agency, on every committee, uh, men that I, I uphold and uh, cherish. They're revered by the denomination, no matter where you are on the spectrum. It's not time to leave, in my opinion, for that reason. We have work to do. If we get to the end of all that I just outlined, the three things that I encouraged um, for our men and elders to consider, uh, if we get to the end of this and there are the divide is so great that we we can no longer worship together as one denomination, well then, all right. Uh, but it should be uh, done in regards to uh, a large group, two large groups, not splintering out here or there, but uh, seeking to work and do the work of the church uh, together here and now. I mean, maybe, maybe in three years, uh, it, it's clear. Um, and there's no, the side B becomes the normal. Revoice theology is fully accepted. I don't think that will happen, quite frankly. Uh, but if it is, well, then maybe it is actually time to leave uh, as the vitals of true religion uh, become struck down. But I don't think that's where the PCA is right now. I think we do have substantial problems. But I do think we're in the process of working through those problems. Uh, I don't think the solution will make everyone happy. I don't think it'll make anyone happy in many regards. Uh, because of all of the factors at play, uh, but we're still in the middle of the work. Uh, we're still drafting overtures on this issue. Uh, we just finished some of the investigations, and now we have to see the result from the from Missouri Presbytery to see how they handle it. I'm I'm, I'm hoping that they handle it uh, well. From my contacts there, it seems like they're ready to. Um, they they were critical in their 150 page report of Revoice. And now I think they're going to have the, the good opportunity, the golden opportunity uh, to actually uh, proclaim where Revoice was erroneous. Uh, and when they do that, if they do that well, I think we can have uh, good inroads for growth. If they don't, I don't know if they choose not to, uh, if they choose to be ambiguous, I think it will continue uh, our current problem. Um, but I, I don't think we're at the end of the road here yet. Uh, we have good, faithful men in the PCA um, all over on that spectrum that we've already discussed uh, that are currently working through this issue. Uh, and to leave now would be premature. It, we are in the middle of discussion. It's like walking out in the middle of the discussion. Uh, after the discussion, we can all make an educated choice for the state of the denomination. Uh, but to do so now would be, in my opinion, premature. Amen. Uh, yeah, and I discovered a couple of Vanguard Presbyteries, um, and that's when I heard about it, and I was like, mm -hmm. huh, and that's how I found out myself, and I was like, wow, there is PCAs out there holding ground, standing firm, being strong in the Lord, doing great exploits. Now, there's a, there's a bunch of PCAs out there that are not standing strong, <laughs> um, so you may be surprised if you step into one, so be careful. 
yeah, I, I guess, you know, for, for those, you know, listening, I would say just be careful, stick, you know, read the Bible, stay, stay firm, stay strong, uh, expose the, the, the deeds of wickedness where you can, if you can. Uh, but, you know, if you're in a faithful church that preaches the gospel, that fears the Lord, that is with the X-Men, <laughs> hashtag, <laughs> that is side with the X-Side, X <laughs> then you, I think you're in a good place. I think you're in a good place. Now, the potential folly of that is that we get to become too prideful. We get to be, you know, a little bit dead orthodoxy, not reaching out, not loving our neighbors. Like, there, there's still potentials of peril, um, you know, being with the X-Men sometimes. And it's like, well... You know, because I, I left a church that was was solid, you know, in terms of orthodoxy and orthopraxy, but it was kind of like little deadish, if you know what I mean, in terms of evangelism. And it, was, it wasn't vibrant and it was just very sad. And, you know, I, I try to bring it up and I try to raise my voice a little bit and I got I got slammed down pretty hard on it. It was crazy. <laughs> and that's how I discovered the PCA. Um controversies when i went to one incidentally exposed that one and i was like oh what did i step in <laughs> so that's how i discovered it you know and it wasn't from the newspaper or nothing like that it was firsthand yeah and to, to make it maybe somewhat clear you know you reference good and bad pcas uh churches uh the overture on overture 23 which was one of the amendments to clarify um ordination it, it's going to pass 65% of our, or 63 to 65% of our presbyteries. And that's no small feat. 63% of our presbyteries agree with, you know, I'll, I'll read the statement. I agree with this statement. Officers in the Presbyterian Church in America must be above reproach in their walk and Christ-like in their character. Those who profess an identity, such as but not limited to gay Christian, same-sex attracted Christian, homosexual Christian, or like terms, that undermines or contradicts their identity as new creations in Christ, either by denying the sinfulness of fallen desires, such as but not limited to same-sex attraction, or by denying the reality of hope of progressive sanctification, or by failing to pursue spirit-empowered victory over their sinful temptations, inclinations, and actions are not qualified for ordained office. And so 62 to 65% of Presbyteries wanted that added to our constitution um, to clarify ordination for the men that come forward. And I would say there's probably another good soft 20%, 20 percent, uh, 20 uh, more percent that agree in principle with the idea that just don't think it's even necessary to include it. Uh, you know, we already have a constitution that is fully capable. We just have to apply the constitution. And so I would say it's actually kind of fringe, even within the PCA, to go straight full bore, revoice side B theology. I think it, that is not the main vein of the PCA. Uh, it's just sometimes the, the, the minority is pretty loud. Um, and those who advocate for side B revoice theology, I don't think uh, if you ask the, your, your average pastor, if you ask your average pastor in the PCA, do you support revoice theology? Do you support side B homosexuality? I think you'd have an overwhelming uh, no. <laughs> uh, but it's how we handle the issue and do we allow it uh, to be within our bounds is kind of the question. Um, and so even Missouri Presbytery, you know, the place where this stems uh, within their jurisdiction, they're critical of revoice and talking with 
um, some of the, the pastors that oversaw the uh, investigation, they are, they've had critical thoughts. It's uh, how are we going to address it? I think that's where the issue lies. How are we going to address the issue? I really do believe um, that a supermajority of our pastors and elders are actually not advocates for revoice or side B homosexuality. That, that's going to be my bold statement um, uh, today. Uh, but I think there is a difference in how we address the issue. Uh, with some in the PCA don't want to come down too strongly because it will further alienate those who are SSA or those who struggle with homosexuality. They don't want to further do damage, though I don't think they agree with the theology that's found in Revoice per se. And many of the guys uh, that have, you know, on the floor of Presbyterians, I've gotten word from all these Presbyterians on how they have voted. The, the main argument is just that it's unnecessary. Look, I, I agree with the statement. It's just unnecessary because our constitution, our confession, the scripture is already clear. We don't need to add it to our book of church order too. It's already clear. Why are we going to make our book of church order even larger? And so, you know, I have some sympathy. I, I understand that. Um, and I would argue that it's not as bleak in this regard as we sometimes think it is. We sometimes elevate uh, those minority voices that actually uphold this as the, the ethos of uh, the PCA. But in my Presbyterian, Providence Presbytery, uh, I don't think anyone would disagree with the language of the overture. I think some would just argue that it was unnecessary. Um, no one has an issue with affirming homosexuality. Everyone pretty much agrees homosexuality is a sin. I mean, everyone in the PCA as, a, as leaders, every leader in the PCA agrees homosexuality is a sin. The desires themselves are sins. What we're wrestling with is how do we, we identify ourselves and how, how, what is a biblical approach for um, evangelizing those within the LGBT community? Uh, that's where we are getting the rub. And those who are side X or those, those who are more conservative would argue that there is some compromising with the approach uh, for how side B and revoice folks handle evangelizing those in the LGBTQ community. Um, and that's where all the rub currently is, at least from my perspective. Yeah. Amen. I would say, you know, in my, the, what I do evangelism, I, I don't have to be a thug to reach a thug. <laughs> You know what I mean? I don't have to be a thug to reach a thug. And I don't have to, like, if you're a woman out there listening, you don't have to be a prostitute to reach a prostitute. You know what I mean? If you're yeah. a dude out there and your neighbor is a lawyer, you don't have to be a lawyer to reach a lawyer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that goes to any context. You don't have to be an LGBT, whatever, to reach an LGBT, whatever. You, yeah. you don't. That's what I would say, you know, in my opinion. You don't have to be whatever you want to be to reach that person right we real quick you know to end this pastor scott where can people find you what are some helpful helpful resources uh, for further study for people who want to continue their studies in this? oh yeah uh, i'm on twitter i don't know my handle or anything of that nature i'm not a huge social media guy though i'm on all the social media um for reading resources i would encourage you to look out uh, look on a website called uh, if you type in PCA polity, the first hit, uh, you'll click on it and it'll say Presbyterian polity has been rebranded. It's meant to be wider. 
Um, but you can find all sorts of resources on this debate. And there's even one resource in there that goes through the various nuances on both sides as articles for the amendments, articles against the amendments, and so on and so forth. And so I would look up PCA polity, Presbyterian polity in the search engine and uh, go to that website. I've written a few articles, but I've had dear friends that have also, and the Aquila Report, uh, as you mentioned in our brief discussion before we went live, uh, the Aquila Report has pretty updated uh, knowledge. I'm, Dominic is a friend of mine and uh, he sends out articles pretty regularly uh, on this issue. And so uh, those are where you could go if you want a you know, contrary opinion to what I believe. Uh, there is um, Semper Ref, I believe, is the website. There would be more contra these overtures and amendments um, and so on. Uh, but PCA, Presbyterian Polity, could lead you to those other websites um, as you look through some of the articles. Uh, but yeah, Presbyterian Polity, the Accord Report, are all valuable resources for reading up on it um, and what's going on in the life of the PCA and also NAPARC denominations, all those within conservative confessional reform denominations as well. Amen. Well, Pastor Scott, thank you for your time. Thank you for your report. Thank you for your efforts and your willingness to stand strong for the Lord and do great exploits for his church down there in Alabama. Um, and like they say, roll tide. <laughs> roll tide. Thank you for listening to the bible theory don't forget to share this with your homies and subscribe to bible theory on iHeartRadio, spotify itunes amazon music and follow on twitter at the chicano knox